This is Speaking of Speaking, quick tips and tools to take you from stage fright to spotlight. This podcast gives you an inside look from the world of public speaking and the speaking secrets you need to be bold from the stage, no matter what business you're in. The host of Speaking of Speaking, Carl Richards. Thank you, Matt. Yes, it's another edition of Speaking of Speaking, the podcast that gives you information and insight into the world of speaking, regardless of what it is. And with us today in studio, another special guest. His name is Keith Brown. He's a world-class magician and VIP entertainer. I've known Keith for a number of years and met him when he was performing Mo Mondays, which he still does on a regular basis. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on, Carl. Appreciate uh, being here. Certainly great to have you on. Now, when it comes to speaking, you've had the chance to perform in over 22 countries uh, over the course of your lifetime, including recently in Iceland. How did this all begin? How did you get into magic and speaking all together? How did that happen? Sure. Well, I guess we should start at the very beginning is I saw a magic trick when I was a kid, when I was about six or seven, and uh, it blew my mind. It was incredible. It was amazing. And it left me with more questions than I had answers. And uh, yeah, so I started on this magic journey and it was a, it was a phase actually growing up as a kid. And my brother and I, we would actually perform for my parents' friends when they would come over for dinner. So we annoyed a lot of them. And then um, I got into other stuff. And a few years later, probably when I was about 10, I saw magic again. I, I was reminded of this incredible thing that inspired wonder and engaged my imagination and, and made me question my reality, made me curious. So I got back into it. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. It was around when I was 13 that someone offered me money to work in a bar, and my parents let me do that. Uh, I actually had to call them at midnight when I was supposed to be over, and I asked if I could stay until close. So my parents had to put the phone down and ask, do we let our 13-year-old son stay in a bar until 2 a.m.? And uh, they realized that I was just down the street, that I was working, that I wasn't drinking, and that I was making money. So they let me do that. And uh, it just sort of snowballed from there. And it wasn't until I was like maybe 15 or 16 that I realized I could do this, uh, that I had a serious shot at this. So I started putting a lot more effort because I was just doing for fun. And it, it was nice that I was getting paid here and there and that I, I didn't have to work a typical you know, job as a teenager of flipping burgers or something like that. And uh, it snowballed. So people started asking me to work at corporate events or private events. And I would just say yes to everything. And then eventually someone asked uh, if I would perform on stage. And I, w- I said yes to that too. And then someone asked if I would speak. And I said yes to that too. So it just kept um, – opportunities kept coming my way because I was putting in the work and people recognized that. And it sort of snowballed that way. And a bunch of the ways I actually got to speak in those countries or perform in those countries uh, is two reasons. One – I was already in that country, and then I found a gig. So, for instance, like I went on exchange to Sweden for 10 months, and I was living there for almost the whole year, and I got the university to hire me for a number of events. And then I found a local business that was looking to put on an event and, and, and gain um, you know, some, some traction and do something entertaining a little bit different. So they got to hire me. Uh, and then the other way is I, pro- I, I found clients in those countries, and I convinced them to hire me. I, I pitched them and I sold them, or I myself would create those opportunities. So for Iceland specifically, um, I do f- fringe theater festivals in the summer. I do uh, typically a lot of corporate work, um, you know, staff appreciation events, uh, holiday parties, things like that, just to sort of change it up. And 
uh, when I'm not doing that, I realize like if you don't work at the company or you're not hosting the private event, you don't really get to see me perform. And this is a realization that I had uh, near the end of high school. So I started doing these theater festivals and I started doing them um, in my hometown of London, Ontario. So the London Fringe was the first theater festival that I ever did. And then I realized that there is this network of theater festivals around the world and around North America. Yeah, Fringe isn't just you know, just something that's in your own backyard. It's it's all over, and that's sort of how you got to to Iceland because you know, you'd always wanted to go to Iceland. You knew you, you had to apply to different Fringe festivals, and that's where this opportunity sort of came out. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing is growing up, like there isn't a specific spot for magic. Like there, you know how you can go to the theater or you can go to a music venue, and you can see a specific specific type of art or performance there wasn't really that for magic like the 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 most known one is the magic castle in LA California and I grew up in London Ontario that's a very far away so it wasn't like it was in my backyard so I found these theater festivals and I saw an outlet where I could perform and as I did it more and more this summer is actually going to be my sixth summer tour in a row and thank you very much and it's it's been a journey. It was a great way to get stage time, to, to build confidence, to build my audience, to build my fan base, as well as an excuse to, to travel the country and the world. And I realized uh, one of my friends, um, she told me that Reykjavik was going to do the first ever Fringe Festival in, in, in their capital. And I looked into it, and I found out that the applications had already closed. And I was a little bit disappointed, and I came so close to just closing my computer and forgetting about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send them an email. Like, there's no harm in asking, like, is it okay? Can I still apply? So just a blind email saying, hey, can I come perform at your festival? Yeah, I'm like, is it too late? Like, would you still accept my application, or are you just going to tell me to apply next year? Because a lot of festivals, they have a hard cutoff time. And, like, if you're one minute late, they don't consider you. Uh, so you got to be on time and, and things like that. So I figured, you know, what's the harm? So I send this email and I kind of say, hey, my name's Keith Brown. I'm a magician. I'm from Canada. This is all my festival experience. This is how long I've been doing it. Here's some videos of me performing. Uh, I would really like to come to Iceland and perform at your festival. Is it worth if I still apply? Like, are you still going to consider me? And a few days later, they send an email back and they say, sure, just send us the money. Right. And immediately I'm skeptical, but it was only like 50 US dollars. It wasn't that much money. Um, so I figured, you know, why not? So I send them the money and I wait and I wait and I wait. And sure enough, about a week later, I get an email saying, congratulations, you've been accepted to the first ever Reykjavik Fringe Festival. And they, they offered me eight performance slots in the capital. And it sort of snowballed from there because the friend that initially told me about it, I, I said, thank you so much for telling me about Iceland. Like, I'm going to go to Reykjavik this summer. I'm so excited for this trip. And she said, you know what? There is this hostel. It's called the Freezer Hostel, and it's in a small town in the west called Riff. And they have a theater. It's like this old fishing packing plant, and it's a hostel, but half of it is a theater and they have like three different spaces in it and it's a town of 150 people but all these travelers come and go and they host shows like every single day and not only do locals go but travelers go as well so she recommended that i reach out to them and you know what i've already sent one email i figured why not send a second so i google this spot and i find the guy's name and i say hey like my name's keith i'm a canadian magician i'm going to be in your country i love to perform at your theater i heard great things about it and he says sure um but instead of doing one show can, can you do two shows 
So I go from having zero shows in Iceland to having eight shows to now having ten shows in Iceland simply because I asked, which is incredible to me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I go, I fly out to Iceland and, uh, I do these two shows out in this small hostel and then I meet some Icelanders who are driving to Reykjavik the next day and I hitchhike with them the next day. They give me a ride to Reykjavik and they take the scenic route and they buy me Icelandic hot dogs. And the funniest part for me was as we're getting into town, they go, oh, well, Hey, by the way, we're going to a, a, a first communion later. And we need to pick up our kids. They're in the neighborhood before you, so we're going to pick them up first. So now I'm riding in the back with their five and seven year old, and one of them is in a car seat, and the mom is explaining in Icelandic that I'm a Tovra Madur, which translates to magic man. And this kid's getting all excited, and they drop me off at this theater festival. Um, so for me, it was a pretty incredible experience because I got to go to Iceland. I got to do actually 11 shows because someone saw me perform, and uh, they're like, hey, it's my niece's birthday. C- can you do something? Like, can you, can you come to my house? I'll feed you. I'll, I'll give you some money. I'll buy you some drinks, whatever. And I was like, absolutely. So I did 11 shows in Iceland simply because I asked. And to top all of this off, a few days before I left for my journey for this wild, wild adventure to Iceland, my dad, um, we're having dinner, and he goes, uh, you know the first lady of Iceland? She's born in Ottawa. You should invite her to your show. And like you said, like like you're doing right now, I laughed at my dad. You're like, ha, 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 dad, pass the salt. Exactly. Like, I immediately discredit my father. I'm like, there's no way that the first lady and the president of Iceland are going to come to my magic show in the capital. But but Iceland is, is what, 300? It's like the size of London, right? Yeah. 50,000. Everybody pretty much knows everybody in the country because it's so small. Everyone knows each other or they're related to each other right. in some way or another. Uh, so when I, when, 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 like, I find out that the first lady is actually going to come to my show because, again, I've already sent two emails. I'm like, why not send a third? Because I Google them and I find a presidential website with a presidential email. And I say, hey, my name's Keith. I'm going to be in Iceland. Like, I would like to invite you to my show. And like within 24 hours, they get back to me. And within 48 hours, they've accepted my invitation, which is mind-boggling to me. And when I get, when I, when I get the acceptance email – I'm sitting across from across from an Icelandic person, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I've seen her in the uh, the grocery store. I've seen her at the pool. Like I've seen her at the gym. So like, no one is too famous or too special. Like everyone is part of this large neighborhood, this large community, which was very very cool. It was one of the friendliest countries that I've ever been to. Uh, so yeah, I go from performing uh, zero shows to eleven in Iceland, and the first lady comes to my opening night at this theater festival simply because I asked. So the smoke and mirrors to to Iceland, and it's been a big build up to that because I mean you've had years of mm-hmm. experience and training and fringe, and all of a sudden you're going to it's a dream come true to be in Iceland. To now you're performing eleven shows in Iceland because you've asked. Let me ask you this question though: Would you say that that's the same secret ingredient to any gig that you get is you just just ask uh yes and no uh i think it's a major part of it because not everyone is a mind reader like no one can just tell your wants and your needs and your desires um you know so like i've had to do a lot of shows so that people see me because uh, most people are like you know what i, I want to hire a magician for my christmas party very Rarely does that happen unless you've seen that magician perform. 
because uh, most people have a stereotype of, of what a magician would be like, and they don't really see it fit into their event unless you already see someone doing it. So I started doing these events just to tell people, hey, like I'm available for this type of work. Like You had a good time, spread the word, and if you're doing something like this, please keep me in mind. Um, so that's part of it is I would do a lot of work to let people know as well as I would just simply ask for it. So a lot of the coolest gigs that I've ever done, I just simply sent an email or I made a phone call and I let people know and made them aware of my services and what it is that I do and them looking at my website or, or my videos or my testimonials, they realized that I was a credible person and that I was authentic, that I wasn't just some person off the street uh, trying to con them out of money, mm-hmm. um, that I actually did have a, a years of experience in this and that I was a worthwhile person to hire for this type of event. Um, so a lot of it is showcasing and having someone see you in your element and see what you do because it's very hard to be like, hey, I'm a magician. Sure. I'm good. Trust me, you need to see me perform something. So, but you're right. I mean, it's it's certainly a, a degree of trust. But the other thing I like about you, Keith, is you're always showcasing yourself. You've always got a deck of cards. I know people can't see it on the podcast, but you have a deck of cards right now <laughs> that, that you're shuffling and, and playing with as we're having this conversation. And I've seen you actually take the time to do a couple of tricks for somebody and then have that person say, have you got a card? Not like a playing card, but if you could have an actual business card, and that's how some of those gigs happen too. Well, you never know like where you're going to meet someone or where an opportunity is going to come from. And there's this great uh, quote from Robin Williams, and he says, uh, constantly prepare to seamlessly improvise. Like he's always working and he's always ready at a moment's notice kind of thing. Because if you're constantly preparing, you're always ready to seize those opportunities. And for me, I always approached it as not like, what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? I've always been other oriented because I know that my thing is magic, that I, that's what I can share with the world and with people. And hopefully it puts a smile on your face and that it brightens your day and that I show you something cool that you're going to remember and give you this moment to say, hey, like, you know what? Maybe we don't know everything. Maybe there is still more to learn in this wonderful, magical world. And one of these moments for me is I was in the Czech Republic and I was watching the World Juniors. I was there with my family and I was on this like communist era style train, like very bare and minimalist. And I end up meeting this person and he just thinks I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kid on a train on vacation. And then he asked me, he's like, hey, like, do you want to cut to high card? Aces are high. Low man has to buy the drinks. He has no idea that I'm a magician. So I totally hustle this guy. I, I see the opportunity to have some fun with him, and I make the four aces just sort of spin out of the deck and make a nice, neat little pile in front of his hands. So when he flips them over, he's like, oh, my God, Like, I, I, I guess I owe you a drink. Well, then a second person, again, just thinks that I'm a, I'm a kid on the train, and he's like, hey, do you want to cut to high card? Aces are high. Low man has to buy the drinks. And I look over at the first guy who doesn't say anything. He's already, he wants someone else to suffer just like he did. Mum's the word. Right? So this same guy, I cut the cards into four piles and he's like, you're only supposed to cut them once. And I'm like, but what if I have the one, the two, the three, the four aces? And he loses it. At this point, like a scene is happening and the table across the aisle in this train has seen everything. So like, kid, you get over here, show us what you can really do with this deck of cards. And I performed this family 
for the remaining 45 minutes of our train ride. And to me, it's an opportunity to practice, to share with someone else what I love most in the world, and again, hopefully put a smile on their face and, and brighten their day. What I don't know is who these people are. What I find out later is that this family, it's Cindy Holland, her two sons and her two daughters, and Cindy Holland is the wife of Ken Holland, the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. And all this is like unknown to me. I just think that they're a family and opportunity for me to practice and perform. I have no idea what they can do for me. And like we have a connection and we swap contact information. We hang out more at this hockey tournament and then the tournament ends and we, we all go home. But I get a phone call a few months later and it's Cindy saying, hey, I'm having a party in September and I, I want you to be my guest of honor. And I, the one thing I did ask her, I'm like, sure, but is it okay if my parents can come? Because at the time I was 16 and I didn't have a driver's license. And of course she said yes. And for those who don't know, there's a tradition in the NHL. If you win the Stanley Cup, everyone gets it for one day. So like all the staff, the management, the players, everyone gets it for one day. And this event that they were having in September was Ken Holland's day to have the Stanley Cup. So I got to perform at a Stanley Cup party in Michigan when I was 16 years old before I even had a driver's license simply because I showed the right person a card trick on a train on the other side of the world. And I didn't have any expectations of like, hey, you owe me this or I deserve this. I just simply showed them because I knew that's what I could offer. And in return, they offered me one of the most amazing gigs that I've ever done. What an amazing story, Keith. Uh, the magic of getting booked as a speaker, my guest is being Keith Brown. And if you would like to book Keith as a speaker or as a magician, Keith, how do they get a hold of you? You can find me at keithbrown.ca. That is K-E-I-T-H and brown just like the color. You can also find me on social media. It's Keith H. Brown. That's Keith with an extra H and brown like the color. I would love to hear from you and make a connection. I do tour uh, across uh, Canada and North America in the summer. So who knows, I might be in your city, and if not, I'd love to hear about your event and see if I'm the right fit and make it a little bit more magical. World-class magician and VIP entertainer Keith Brown, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Carl. Appreciate it. Another edition of Speaking of Speaking, it's Carl Richards reminding you to get out there and own the platform. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Speaking podcast. Fired up about something you heard today? Want to learn more? Be sure to visit carlspeaks.ca and don't forget to follow Carl on Twitter at carlrichard72 or join the Facebook group Speaking of Speaking. 